1: We concluded a series uh, last week uh, entitled Church and Culture, and we looked at Acts 2, 42 through 47. And what does the church, when it's at its best, look like? Now, uh, this, this week and going into the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at a series entitled The Fight for Joy. Sometimes joy doesn't come easily, does it? It's actually a struggle. It's a fight. Today's sermon in this series, we're going to be looking at the letters of Paul this month. And we can't cram all of Paul's letters in in the next four weeks, but we're going to be looking specifically at Philippians chapter 3 today. And you can go ahead and turn there. I'll get to it in just a moment. But in Philippians and in Timothy, as we look at um, this fight for joy, Paul talks about how joy isn't something that does come naturally. It's actually something that we are to do. Love is similar. The fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against these things there are no laws. They are something we produce. It's something that we must do as believers in Christ. So the fight for joy is this fight to maintain this sense of of above-the-fray kind of life. That when things are hard, we can still be full of joy. Today's sermon is entitled, The Joy of Discipline. But as I've thought about it over the past couple days, because these have already been printed out, it might be better put, The Discipline of Joy. But I'll let you figure that out. If you want to change that on your notes, you can. Let's go ahead and start reading Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read 21 verses, all right? I'm going to start with verse 1 and go through verse 21. And we're going to take a journey through Paul's letter, as quick or through this chapter in Paul's letter. Uh, and the very first ber- verse, he says something significant. What does he say? Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, What? rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice. I want you to know there will be no overtones about any political issue. That is not what this is about. I've had a few people saying, did you plan this knowing that? No, this this sermon series was planned a year ago. Okay, and you want to talk about the providence or God, knowing where we might be and how some of you may be excited or some of you may be discouraged, we come to this time in our church to really look at what does it mean to fight for joy. So whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord. Guess where Paul is when he's writing this letter? He's in prison, more than likely in Rome. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice. Is that the first thing you might say if you were locked away in prison for not having really done anything except being in a believer in Christ? He goes on to say, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. And then he goes on to write, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say that you must be circumcised to be saved. Some of your Bibles might call them Judaizers. Judaizers were people of the Jewish faith and Jewish descent that were telling the new believers in Christ that they have to adhere to the Jewish laws like the dietary laws or the circumcision laws. But Paul is saying, after having met with the church council in Acts chapter 15, they already said you shouldn't have to make the Gentiles become physically circumcised in order to be believers in Christ. Um, We feel in good conscience that that's not necessary for salvation. So what really is the problem is the heart. So we are concerned about the circumcision of sin, figuratively speaking, from the heart and the lives of people. And so that's what the church in Acts 15 uh, said was going to happen. And then Paul is, is now addressing this because there are groups of people saying, no, 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 no. In order to be saved, men, you have to get circumcised no matter what age you are. And in order to be saved, you can't eat shellfish or bacon or all of those fun things, right? Just saying. All right, let's go on. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Did you catch that? Where do you put your confidence as a believer in Christ? In what you can do for Christ? No, it's all in what he could do for you. See, our confidence and our joy doesn't come from what we do to earn anything. It comes from what he did to bring us salvation. Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's responsibility on our part, right? You can't just say, well, Jesus died on the cross, I'm saved. You have to say, Jesus died on the cross, therefore, I surrender my life to him, and I'm going to follow him the rest of my days. My life is not mine anymore to do what I want to do, but it's his because I've surrendered it to him so I could follow him and do what he has purposed me to do in life. All right. I digress. Let's go on. We rely on Christ and what he has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Now, Paul's starting to get personal here. He starts to say, if anyone could have confidence in their good deeds and efforts and successes, that's me. Now, you might think, well, he's a little pompous and arrogant. And you might even still think that after we read what we're going to read next. But I want you to hear it from the lips of Paul to your ears in the way that he intended it to be read. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. You think you're good? I'm better. That's what he's saying. You think you're all that? I'm all that and a bag of chips. Did you hear that? Chips? Did you hear chips come out? So what does he say about himself? Verse 5, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. That is by the law of Moses. Jesus was dedicated in the temple at eight days old and circumcised as a faithful Jewish young male. Paul says, I was circumcised at eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, pure-blooded. I have no other descendants in my lineage. I don't have any Gentile blood or any pagan blood in me. I am pure Jewish by descent. He says, I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. The tribe of Benjamin was in the southern uh, kingdom of Judah after the northern and southern tribes split from each other. And uh, Judah and Benjamin were the ones through whom, or Judah specifically, were the ones through whom uh, the Messiah would come. But Benjamin, Benjamin has a lot of famous names that come from that tribe. The first king of Israel, the very first king after the judges in the Old Testament, came from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul. Now, he didn't work out so well, and that's another sermon for another time. But we know that he was the first king. There's something to be said about that. Ehud, or Ehud, The judge in the Old Testament, one of the great judges in the book of Judges, uh, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Queen Esther, tribe of Benjamin. And now we we see that Paul is from the tribe of Benjamin. It's even worse. Let me go back. Here we are. He goes on to say, I was a member of the Pharisees. Actually, we use that term today in a negative light. It wasn't used as a negative light in those days. See, to be claimed a Pharisee means that you were in the upper echelon of the religious groups. You had achieved a status that only other people could ever dream of achieving, spiritually, religiously. They were the best of the best of the best. They had made the cut. They had made the team. They were, they were on, on the starting line of the NBA or the NFL. The, what, you, you know, they were the, the ones you would look to for religious issues or for religious things. He said, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. How do we know that about him? Well, you could go to the earlier chapters of Acts, Acts 1 all the way through Acts 9. And you see that he was on a rampage going from city to city persecuting the Christians. Persecuting the Christians. He even held the coats of those that were stoning Christians to death. Like Stephen, one of the early church leaders. He said, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. How many of you could say, I have never broken a commandment? I have never broken the teaching of the word of God. See, this is what Paul could say. He's saying, I obeyed the law without fault. I was perfect. Do you hear what Paul's saying? It sounds arrogant. It sounds pompous. But it's what's next that puts everything into perspective. I once thought that these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. See that word worthless? Actually, I'm going to hold off on that. We'll get to that in a minute. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What is the first process of our mission? To know Christ intimately. Everything else doesn't amount to a hill of beans in life, except for that one thing. Knowing Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Yes, everything else is is worthless. Um... For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness uh, through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. How do we become righteous? Through faith in Christ. We talked about that in our, or we sang about that today. How do we become righteous? Through our faith in Christ. It's nothing you can do. It's all that he's done. And surrendering to him in faith is what makes us righteous. It's what he did for us perfectly, Christ, that makes us of worth. You might say, so, well, I'm worth something without Jesus. Actually, the issue that we understand in scripture Scripture is that we are worthless without him. We were created for him, by him, and it's through him that we find meaning and purpose. For God's ways of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. He's saying, I know I can't save myself. I know that it's through him that I'm saved. And I am busting my hump for him, not because I feel obligated to, but because I love him so much, there's every, I would do everything for him. There's nothing I wouldn't do for him. And I know someday, as I follow him, I'll be resurrected from the dead. That sounds like the zombie apocalypse for those of you that may not know anything about the resurrection. But the reality is we know that Jesus rose from the dead and was given a glorious new body. Yes, it did have impressions and imprints of the life before, the scars of the nails in his hands and the spear wound in his side. It had all of that, had the markings of the previous world, but it was a body that was not bound to this world. It was a redefined body, a body that could appear and and disappear on on his own command. He could could appear in a locked room with the disciples. He could eat and enjoy food, which gives me hope in heaven we will continue to eat, you know? (laughs) Um, We know this by the way you you go to John chapter 21 and he's cooking up breakfast for the disciples while they're out on the Sea of Galilee fishing and, and they come in from a night of fishing after he had been resurrected from the dead. They see him out there. Peter jumps out the boat, realizes that Sam starts running toward the shore and he's frying up some fish for breakfast and and they're all staring and watching him as he's eating this fish, you know. It's kind of creepy to stare and watch somebody eat, but the disciples are just amazed. You know, what this resurrected Christ can do. And we too will be resurrected someday with new bodies that will never wither, fade, succumb to disease, won't have any kind of deficiency, won't succumb to death ever again. If we are in Christ and he is in us and our faith has driven us to this place of surrender, then we will have life everlasting with him. And that's where hope and where our joy lies. Now, he goes on to write, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already preached or reached perfection. What is he saying? The thing we love to say all the time. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. No, but because he's perfect, you are perfect if you've Believed in Christ and accepted Him into your life. This is one of those things as a believer in Christ that's really hard for people to hear, where where we are commanded to be perfect as He is perfect, to be holy as He is holy. What does that mean? It means to be set apart. And I can only be set apart for His purposes when I believe in Him. I can only be perfect like He was perfect when I surrender my life to Him in salvation. See, that's the point. I believe in him through faith and I've surrendered my life to him. And now I am perfect as he is perfect because he was perfect first. And it's because of his covering and freeing me from the weight and the guilt of my own sin that I have been perfected. It's not something I could achieve on my own. No matter how hard I tried, but it's everything he's done for me. He goes on to write, I haven't achieved perfection or or achieved all of these things, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. How easy is it to forget the past? How hard is it to forget the past? It's hard, isn't it? Think of times that you have royally messed up, and, and it may be years, decades ago. It may have just been last week. How hard is it to forget the past? I mean, you desperately want to, and you want everybody else to. No, don't remember. Don't, have you ever had somebody who starts talking to Hey, do you remember when? You're like, no, 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 please don't go there, right? Please don't, don't, don't bring that up. You see, for the person who's in Christ Jesus, who has faith in him, who has that joy unspeakable and full of glory because they know that this world is temporary, but eternity with Christ is forever, they, they realize, um, I'm not bound to my past anymore. Well, I may remember it because I can't have, uh, you know, I can't have memory loss at this stage of life. But even though I wish I could over certain things, But I know that because of what Jesus has done for me, I'm not bound to my past. See, Paul writes in Corinthians that we become new creations when we receive Christ into our lives by faith. When we become Christians, when we become believers in Christ, followers of him, when we've surrendered our lives to him and said, your will be done in my life, not what I want. When we do that, he breaks the chain and the bondage of what our past has led us up to and where it was leading us to. And he says, you are now a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. How many of you would love to have that experience? That you would love to have the experience of having the past broken away from you so that it no longer held sway over you now or ever And you could be set free. You could be without guilt. See, there's joy in that prospect, isn't there? All you have to do is receive it with faith to step into that arena. And you can have that. He goes on to say, No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but i focus focused on this one thing. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race. And receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. But if you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. Do you ever disagree with a brother or sister in Christ? Or with somebody in the church? I have never been in a church where anybody's ever disagreed. In board meetings, in staff meetings, in church meetings, I've never seen any disagreement. It's all perfect, roses, flowers, it's great. Actually, you know what happens in churches is not much different sometimes than what happens in the world, is the enemy ramps up his tactics to try to get us in disagreement, to get us against each other. And what Paul's saying is, all right, let's agree on the core things, that Jesus is who we have salvation through, that we will achieve this place of resurrection from the dead if we stay in him and we allow him to lead us. And if we are believers in him, and if we agree on some other point, okay, then agree to disagree. Eventually, hopefully through maturity, God will lead us to unity on these issues. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, but we must hold to the progress we have already made. You see, one of the things I think has happened in our church, not North Maine specifically, but in the church and our culture, is see, we've allowed ourselves to not only be cocooned off from society, as I mentioned in the previous sermon series, but that we have not only cocooned ourselves off, but we have, we have become disagreeable, To the point where it's split many of our churches. Church splits used to happen all the time when I was a kid. They still happen now. Uh, As I'm an adult, you just don't hear a lot about it. You know, it's all because of disagreements. Rarely on theology or the Bible, it's mostly on personality differences. That's one of the reasons a lot of people leave certain local congregations to go to another is because of personality differences often. Oh, I just don't like that person. That's how that usually works out. But he says, let's hold on to the progress we've made already. Don't allow the enemy to, dis, to, to disjoint us or to break us apart. And lastly, he goes on to say this. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow your, our example. How many of you would be confident enough to go to somebody and say, pattern your life after mine? <laughs> well, I'm not perfect. Well, he just said he wasn't either. I've not achieved it, but I press on. You see, I think the world gets a picture of the church that it is perfected and never makes mistakes or anybody within its ranks ever makes mistakes. They've gotten a false impression about what Christians are all about. Because oftentimes, and they're right in their argument against us, we are judgmental, we are condemning, we are hypocritical. But see, Christ followers are not perfect, but we follow one who is. And in our stumbling, bumbling attempt to follow him, he covers those areas where we stumble and bumble with grace. And it's important for us as believers in Christ to be conduits of God's grace in the world around us. It doesn't mean we compromise our faith. It doesn't mean we compromise biblical values and teachings as some churches and believers are doing today. It means we stand our ground, but we do it with humility, never pointing the finger of condemnation but walking alongside of somebody who may be going through a deep, dark valley of the shadow of death and saying, you know what? I've been there, done that. Can I walk with you? Can I go there with you? And if they say no, then you politely bow out and you leave them alone. But if they say, yeah, then you commit to being the hands and the feet and the voice of Christ into that person's life so that in you they see the very image of Christ and they learn to imitate take Christ by how you've loved them and given them grace. Does that make sense? Okay. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ those in the church. He's talking to the church, the church at Philippi, and he's saying this about people in the church. Listen to this again. Let me read it again. I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about this life here on this earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He is our Savior now through the Holy Spirit as we believe in Christ. But he will also return physically, the resurrected Christ, again to receive those that are still alive when he comes back, but also to raise those from the dead. Again, sounds like a zombie apocalypse. It won't be like that. It'll be this glorious day. It'll be a fearful day for some who have rejected Christ to their dying breath. But it will also be an amazing, joyful day for those that have surrendered to Christ. We are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he uh, will bring everything under his control. See, therein lies the crux of the issue. The world seems out of control, and it would be even more out of control if God's Spirit weren't still working and moving. Can you imagine what this world would look like if God wasn't in control? See, the reality is he allows us to make choices. And our choices oftentimes have consequences. And the consequences are not pretty. And he allows groups to make choices. He allows nations to make choices. And those choices have global effects sometimes. But if he weren't in control, can you imagine the utter chaos? See, we have this hope. We have this joy that... Even though the world seems out of control, we know God's in control, first off. But secondly, we know this world is temporary. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Because the reality is, if this world were permanent and this was, this was it, how hopeless would that be? Now you're saying, I smell turkey. Because we are having a luncheon. Let me buzz through these. I'm going to buzz through these. Key point, no matter how hard life gets for the follower of Christ, there is joy in the journey because of what lies ahead. That's the key point. Don't check out on me. The first point is this, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. We talked about that. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. No matter if your candidate won or he lost, rejoice in the Lord. No matter if you're constipated, rejoice in the Lord. (laughs) So, I just want to make sure you're with me, guys and ladies. Come on. No matter if uh, you stub your toe in the dark, rejoice in the Lord. If you get the promotion, rejoice in the Lord. If you get that A on that exam or that paper, rejoice in the Lord. If you graduate summa cum laude, magna cum laude, or just thank the Lord, right? <laughs> Rejoice in the Lord. (laughs) If you if you lose a loved one to a tragic circumstance, (sighs) rejoice in the Lord. Not because they've died, but because you know the author of life. If you're going through a rough time and you've lost your job and you don't know how to make ends meet, rejoice in the Lord. If you just got news that you have a terminal illness, rejoice in the Lord. It sounds counterproductive and counterintuitive unless you know the end of the story. And those who don't know Christ don't understand the end of the story. You see, on the cross and through the empty tomb, Jesus won the victory over sin and death. And because of him, if we believe in him and walk in his ways, we too Are victorious over sin and death so if if anything bad happens this life if we get thrown in prison like paul rejoice in the lord i'll say it again rejoice Rejoice. that's in philippians chapter four by the way number two everything in this world is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing christ how much wealth have you amassed (laughs) i've I've amassed a couple like i said earlier a couple nickels i can rub together Uh, how much wealth have you amassed uh, I didn't go into the ministry to get rich, just so you know. Uh, pastors normally don't live high on the hog. We are uh, The exception to those rules are evangelists that say, put your hand on the screen and they're trying to get every nickel and dime out of you. Uh, most ministers truly dedicate their lives to a, a calling of God, not because of anything they get out of it, because of all that God has called them to put into it. I just want you to know that. Everything in this world is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ. Your degrees, your successes, your achievements, your wealth, all of that, guess what? Paul says he counts that stuff as rubbish. Do you know what the word he uses for worthless or garbage there is? Do you know what that actually means? It's this word called scubalon. Say scubalon. (laughs) Scubalon. It means this. It's a Greek word that means to be thrown to the dogs. It's comprised of three separate smaller words. And it means to take something and throw it to the dogs. We have a dog at home. And uh, I tell the kids when they're done eating, I'm like, you know, don't throw it in the garbage. Throw it to the dog. That's what he's saying. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, I've counted all my successes, all of my uh, resume and my credentials. I count that as something to be thrown to the dogs. The King James Version says dung, D-U-N-G, and dung is poop. He counts it as poop, according to the King James Version. The idea of this, it's garbage. Now, he's not trying to diminish his criteria. He's saying, listen, if, I have, if anybody has a chance to promote their successes, it's me. But in comparison with what Christ has done and knowing him... This is a blip on the radar. This is nothing. I see so many people dedicate their lives to the pursuit of things, the pursuit of successes. And those things are good. Don't get me wrong. Pursue those things hard and with courage and bravery. But don't pursue them in the place of Christ. Christ first above all things, and then those other things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, that's what we're to do. But I see so many people achieving and growing and pushing forward and achieving what the world deems as successful and greatness and awards. And I also see in the same light those same people feeling so empty. Empty. I've achieved a certain status of fame and fortune and wealth and this, that, and the other. And I'm at the top looking out over everything and it's empty. It's empty. I'm not saying that is a generalization for everybody, but it seems to be a common theme for the ones who don't have Christ but have achieved what the world deems a success. See, Paul could say that, and I think Paul was empty. I think that's what was driving him, was emptiness. If I achieve more, if I persecute more Christians with more zeal, then I'll have achieved it. If I press on, if I continue to do this, then I'll have achieved it. And I think every town he went into, he felt emptier and emptier and emptier, watching people get killed, sending people to jail. We can be convinced of doing the wrong things for the right purposes but it doesn't make those things right. Last, citizens of heaven eagerly await Christ's return, knowing that he will bring everything under his control. See, that's our hope. We have hope, we have joy, not because of our immediate circumstances, but because of his eternal purposes. Derek Redmond was a great runner, but he was even a better finisher. Derek will be forever remembered for his staggering performance, and I remember seeing the video for this, in the 400-meter men's semifinals during the Summer Olympics of 1992 in Barcelona, Spain. After years of training, persistence, of self-discipline, Derek was competing on the world stage. His dream had ultimately become a reality. Not many people achieve this status to be able to go to the Olympics. Yet halfway through his 400-meter race, Derek pulled a hamstring muscle and collapsed on the track. Writhing in pain, he watched the other runners quickly pass him, and his dream of winning die. But staying down was not in his blood. The winning was out of the question, finishing the race was not something that he was gonna miss out on. As the medical crew arrived with the stretcher, Derek said, there's no way I'm getting on that stretcher. I'm gonna finish this race. So in a stadium packed with 65,000 fans and with a million viewing all around the world, Derek slowly struggled back to his feet. In spite of the agonizing pain, he began hobbling toward the finish line in last place. Tears streaming down his face and his heart filled with disappointment. Yet he was determined to finish the race. At that point, a large man from the top row of the stands began to run towards the track. It was Tim Redmond, Derek's father. Disregarding the security guards, running over people, determined that, that no one would stop him, he ran to his son's side. And at first, Derek tried to push him away, not realizing it was his father. He thought someone was trying to get him to quit the race. Derek, it's me, he says. Recognizing his father's voice, he says, Dad, I have to finish the race. Well, if you're going to finish the race, then we'll finish it together. And with those words, his father took his son in his arms and together they began to hobble down the track. By this time, the other runners had completed the race and the crowd realized that Derek wasn't hobbling off the track, but rather he was hobbling toward the finish line on one leg with his father by his side. In total disbelief, 65,000 fans stood their feet and they began to cheer. The roar of the crowd increased with every painful step down the track. Approaching the finish line, Jim Redmond stepped aside and allowed Derek to cross by himself. The crowd exploded into thunderous applause, an emotional release, and then Derek's collapsed into his father's embrace and both wept on each other's shoulders, along with 65,000 fans and millions of viewers worldwide. Derek had finished the race. He'd finished a race that the world would never forget. The great American football player and coach Tom Landry once said, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. Joy doesn't come naturally, it's a discipline. I love the imagery of that story, that true story, because here's the truth of the matter. We've all got pulled hamstrings. We're all writhing in pain. We all live in a world that is groaning as if in birth pangs, awaiting the day of Christ's return, Paul tells us in the book of Romans. And yet we have him by our side. You know the race that is set before us? He ran, and he now runs alongside of us. This hobbling mess of a runner that you see before you knows that he could not take another step without Christ. But do you know that? The fight for joy isn't easy. The run of this race we call faith isn't easy but it's good and it's worth it because at the end of this race is a reward of eternal life yes it is an ugly race from time to time and as long as you don't give up but rather stand back up and continue on that journey your father will come alongside of you and he say it's me I'm right here with you to the very end. As our worship team comes forward to to send us off. I always try to call for uh, an opportunity for you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, as Savior of your life. If I miss a Sunday, it's not intentional. But the truth is, I'm not foolish enough to think that everybody in this place or online today may be watching from home or that we'll watch in the coming days or weeks is a believer in Christ. I know there are people that doubt that question that wonder if this God thing is real. Is the Bible real? Is Jesus real? I mean, it all sounds good. I want to believe that, but I just got so many doubts. I get so hung up on the questions in my head. You see, that's why it takes faith to please God. Nobody can come to Christ except by faith. He's given us a ton of evidence, but not every detail. That's why those areas that we have questions on require our faith. And the faith question is this. Do you trust that God is real and that he's in control? That's kind of hard, though, when things seem out of control but God is in control I promise you that even if things don't work out the way you want them to he has ultimate control and he sees a bigger picture than you or I see and I've come to this conclusion in my life not just as a pastor but as a believer in Christ a fellow laborer in the in the fields with you if you will that when times are hard there's always this still small voice that comes to my ear do you trust me When I start to doubt, the question comes, do you trust me? And I always go back to the resounding answer, yes. Yes, I trust you. Then follow me, follow me. If you need prayer, come to my right, your left. These altars are open and somebody will pray with you. If you want to pray alone, come to my left, your right. But don't leave here today if there's that tugging of the Holy Spirit on you. It may feel like this fluttering or this anxiety attack you're about to have. It's the Holy Spirit working on you. Allow him to work on you. Allow him to work on you, work in and through you to bring you to a place of joy and hope. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the men and women that are here today and the children we hear in the midst. You've blessed us so much with life. Even though life is hard, we know that you are good. Lead us to you. Help us to surrender to your son, Jesus. Transform us by renewing our minds, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Maine is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.